Welcome to the weekly worship service from St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School in Bourbon A and Kankakee. In today's service, you will hear readings from God's Word, a message from our pastor, the Lord's Prayer, and a blessing for you and your family. But first, a few announcements about our ministry at St. Paul's. We invite you to join us for our weekly 5 p.m. Saturday worship service at our church located at 348 East Merchant Street in downtown Kankakee. We also hold weekly Sunday morning worship services at 8.30 and 11.05 at our school site, located at 1780 Career Center Road in Bourbon A. If you have any health reasons that might keep you away from in-person worship, please consider one of our alternative worship services, such as our worship page on our website, our weekly WKAN broadcast, and through our Facebook stream. You may also request an audio copy or opt for our podcast. All worship services and church information are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. The latest information on our response to the pandemic is available by clicking the COVID-19 tab at the top of the page. For more information about St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, please call the church office at 815-932-0312. And now we pray that you are blessed by the Word of God in today's worship. this morning comes from Paul's letter to the Romans. Oh, the depth of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God! How unsearchable are his judgments, and how inscrutable his ways! For who has known the mind of the Lord, or who has been his counselor? Or who has given a gift to him that he might be repaid? For from him, and through him, and to him are all things. To him be glory forever. I appeal, to you, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, 
that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not all have the same function. So we, though many, are one body in Christ, and individually members of one another. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. If prophecy, in proportion to our faith. If service, in our serving. The one who teaches, in his teaching. The one who exhorts, in his exhortation. The one who contributes, in generosity. The one who leads, with zeal. The one who does acts of mercy with cheerfulness. This is the word of the Lord. We rise. St. Matthew, the 16th chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked the disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And then he strictly charged the disciples to tell no one that he was the Christ. This is the Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. Please be seated. We continue with our hymn, M832, Jesus Shall Reign.
may God's grace, mercy, and peace be yours today in the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. The text of the message today comes from our first reading from Romans. Let's pray. Almighty God, bless us as we enter into your presence and open your word. Bless us with your wisdom, your justice, and mercy on this day, and give us peace, Lord. And may the words of my mouth, may the meditations of our hearts be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, for you are our maker and our redeemer. Amen. Well, since we are worshiping in a Lutheran church, uh, Lutheran gymnasium uh, today, uh, I'm guessing that many of you know who Martin Luther is, that German monk who posted 95 theses or items for debate on the castle church door in Wittenberg, uttering those famous words, uh, here I stand, I can do no other, God help me. But if you're a church, unless you're a church history buff, you might not know a whole lot about the history of the Lutheran church beyond Martin Luther. You see, after his death, a number of his followers championed uh, that cause. They clarified, they sort of pulled together the uh, Lutheran biblical teaching and what is known as uh, the Lutheran Confessions. Uh, the Confessions are a, a collection of documents, a summary of the explanation of the Bible. That they don't, they're not placed over the Bible. They do not take the place of the Bible. But they're compiled in what is known as what's called the, the Book of Concord. And that's how Lutherans are able to say together as a church, uh, this is what we believe. This is what we teach. This is what we confess. Now Luther, along with other uh, Lutheran leaders, wrote uh, hymns that allowed people to praise God in their own language. They preached sermons that pointed out error and, error and proclaimed the truth. Now sometimes called the age of orthodoxy, that the century after his death, it was critical uh, uh, for the survival and spread of the truth that Luther had rediscovered here. But there's a downside. Over time, the, this quest for truth, at least for some, became this obsession with being right. You know, uh, sermons were aimed at the, the head rather than the heart. And, and so faith a lot of times reduced to uh, just a, maybe proof passages and dogmatic formulas. And as a reaction to this really heavy emphasis on doctrine, there's a movement that, that sprung up called pietism that looked more in action, right? Uh, it's, it's sometimes it had more subjective feelings over objective truth. And, and sometimes it summarizes the phrase, you know, it deeds not creeds, right? Uh, in other words, how you live is just as important and maybe even more important for some than what you believe. And so the question, well, who's right there? Uh, is it the people who stress the importance of believing the right things, or is it the, the people who stress the importance of doing the right things? Well, according to St. Paul, the answer is really both, isn't it? Uh, now, the first 11 chapters of Romans, it's, it's more like a, a dogmatic textbook uh, than a personal letter. In Romans, Paul's tackling heavy issues uh, justification, sanctification, election, using very uh, very legal arguments uh, throughout the process. And so it might come as a surprise that at this part of the book, how it ends the way that it does. Instead of taking and summarizing the argument, instead of drawing these logical conclusions, Paul breaks out in a song of praise, right? This doxology, this praising, if you will, 
teaches us a valuable lesson, and the lesson is this, that this idea of Christian teaching, theology, and Christian living, doxology, do not fight against each other, right? They're inseparable. So Paul's words demonstrate that the Word of God naturally leads the people of God to respond. And I use this phrase in Christian faith where doxology and theology collide, or where maybe better where the head and heart meet. It might be a better way of phrasing it. And so theology is defined as the study of God. And so today we're going to do that and sort of try to pull in the, the heart on it a little bit and look at some attributes of God where God is at work. The first attribute of God that Paul mentions is his wisdom. Now, the theological term often used to describe God's wisdom is omniscience, all right? The fact that God is omniscient means that he knows everything. It wouldn't be too difficult to come up with a Bible passages that prove that. Uh, David's words in Psalm 139, before a word is on my tongue, you know it completely, O Lord. That could point to Jesus' assurance in Matthew 10 that, that even the hairs of our head are all numbered. God knows that. You go Peter's beautiful confession of Christ in John 21. Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. Now, now Paul was a Bible scholar. He knew all the proof passages. He, but his understanding of God's knowledge, God's omniscience and wisdom went way beyond that. The man who, the, the, the one who declared in our reading, oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom of the knowledge of God the same one who saw the wisdom of God at work in his own life. I mean, think about it. Who but God could have chosen Paul, a sworn enemy of Jesus and his followers, and use him to carry the name of Jesus to the Gentiles? Paul wrote, who has known the mind of the Lord? Who has been his counselor? Now, while Paul didn't answer his own questions, you can almost hear him saying, certainly not me, right? Paul knew God's wisdom, he experienced God's wisdom, and he praised God for his wisdom. And so the question is, do we do that? I mean, is God's omniscience, God's wisdom, a source of personal comfort to us? Or is it some perceived as some dry, dusty doctrine? Do we, do we always trust that God knows what he is doing? Or other times when we question God's wisdom. Have we ever decided that no matter how much God knows, we know better? Yeah, we struggle with that, don't we? I mean, this is where God's wisdom, God's omniscience can be a scary thing. Because since God knows everything, that means God knows everything about you. Think about that for a moment. He knows about every secret thought, every forbidden desire, every sin you've committed your entire life. He knows that you deserve to be punished for disobedience, but he also knows your struggles, your worries, your joys. So what's the solution? What is the all-knowing God solution to the problem of sin? Would you believe it's foolishness? Paul writes in Second and First Corinthians, uh, the message of the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing. 
But to, those who, to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. And so in his infinite wisdom, God sends his son to take away the sins of the world. Now, if we look at that logically, it doesn't make a lot of sense, does it? I mean, it doesn't make sense that God pays the ultimate price to save sinners like you and me, but he does. It doesn't make sense that Jesus willingly gave up his life for you and me. He did. It doesn't make sense that he rose from the dead, but he did. This is God's wisdom. The other attribute of God that Paul mentions is God's justice. And I, you know, Isaiah was right. God's ways are higher than our ways. God's thoughts are higher than our thoughts. And Paul praised God for that. He praised God for his divine wisdom, but he also recognized that, that this wisdom, this omniscience, does, does not stand by itself. God uses that knowledge to dispense divine justice. He stood in awe of God and he said, how unsearchable are his judgments and his past beyond tracing out. Now, now God's judgments are more than just verdicts handed down by a stern judge, right? God's judgments include all of his decrees, all of his decisions as master and king of the universe. And so God's justice goes beyond human reason it, because you see, it, it, it doesn't matter how intelligent you are. It doesn't matter how many diplomas you have. The human mind will never be able to, to fully understand the ways of God. I mean, if you want an example, how about the plan God devised to save the world? And God gave the law in order to show people their sin so that they might know that they need a savior and trust in Jesus for forgiveness. I mean, that is the message of the Bible. I mean, if you want heaven, if you want eternity in God's presence, Jesus is the way, right? Jesus is the only way. And that is true justice. But like many today, people will cry out to God and say, well, that's just not fair, right? Uh, it's interesting, Paul doesn't question God's fairness here. He doesn't make excuses. He doesn't curse God for creating him and allowing him to be a sinner. Instead, he praises God. Paul praises God because he rescued him from the punishment that his conscience told him that he deserved. Now, if we look at ourselves from the world's perspective, we would be lost, right? I mean, justice for us, to be truly just, would mean punishment to death. But Paul reminds us that God is just and loving. Sure, we don't understand why everything happens, but we have to remember that we can only see a few pieces of the entire puzzle or picture. God sees all things, right? His judgments are unsearchable. His paths are untraceable. He is always just. God's justice. The third attribute of God that Paul mentions is his mercy. You know, wisdom and justice, those are important things, important attributes of God. But they don't tell us everything that we need to know about it. You know, a person can recognize that there is a God who is wise and powerful, but that knowledge doesn't bring them any closer to God. Or you don't have to be a Christian to believe in the existence of some kind of supreme being. But that belief alone will not take away a sin of sin. 
Only the gospel reveals that our God is a merciful God. Paul had already asked a couple of rhetorical questions in our reading, and he borrows the next one from uh, the Old Testament book of Job, where he says, who has ever given to God that God should repay him? Right? Originally, this is a question God asked of Job. Maybe you remember Job, a believer who had fallen on hard times. In fact, he lost everything. He lost his, his family had been killed, his wealth had been destroyed, even his health was gone. And, and all that Job had left was the question, why? And that's the question throughout uh, much of the book. But, but it's interesting, God never gives Job the answer, at least not the answer Job was looking for. Instead, God answered Job's question with some questions of his own. And he asked Job, what, what gives you the right to question me? What have you ever done for me that I owe you, right? Uh, Job, the question you should be asking isn't, what have I done to deserve this? The real question is, what have you done, done to not deserve this? You know, Paul uses the same question, gives us the same reminder, because God doesn't need our power. God isn't lacking in something that we can give him like we owe him, he owes us something. God owes us nothing. In fact, in reality, we owe God everything. And Paul gives in that great phrase there, for from him and through him and to him are all things. Now, when you read that, the mercy of God really doesn't jump out of the page, right? Uh, but in fact, God's mercy and grace and love are, are, are not specifically mentioned, but the idea is there, isn't it? I mean, if you look carefully, a merciful God comes into focus if, if we look at all these things, because God knows all people. God knows that people have a long history of messing things up whenever they get their hands on it. And so in his mercy, God takes matters into his own hands. In his mercy, he carried out a foolproof plan of salvation that was 100% his doing. He is the author of our faith. He is the perfecter of our, the protector of our faith. He is the Alpha and Omega and every other Greek letter in between. For from him and to him and through him are all things, including the salvation of our souls. From creation to conception, to crucifixion and resurrection, God has done absolutely everything for you and me. He even gives us the faith to believe. With a God like that on his side, can you blame Paul bursting out in song, a song of praise? Better question, can you find any reason to not join him in praise? An Anglican theologian, Bishop Hanley Mullable, once said that when it comes to matters of faith, we must beware of an undevotional theology and, un and an untheological devotion, meaning that uh, uh, this devotion to God and our theology need to work together. You can't have one without the other. As we struggle to avoid these extremes, Paul's song of praise can be pretty helpful to us because the Christian faith is where the, this head and heart meet, right? Paul didn't avoid doctrine. Paul embraced doctrine. His letter to the Romans is filled with doctrine, right? But immersing himself in the deep things of God didn't turn his faith 
purely into an intellectual exercise. He said, all his, as his knowledge of God increased, his love for God also grew, and his desire to live this life of praise and service also grew. God's word has the same effect on us, doesn't it? Or it should. Penetrating our hearts, penetrating our heads. The more and more we know about our God and Savior, the more and more we want to praise him. My friends, where, as I said, where theology and doxology collide, or where the head and heart meet, we praise God for his wisdom. We praise God for his justice. And we praise God for his mercy. To him be the glory ever and ever. Amen. Please stand. And now may the peace of God that transcends all understanding guard your hearts and guard your minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Dear friends, let us confess our faith using the words of the Nicene Creed we confess together. I believe in one God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, and of all things visible and invisible, and in one Lord Jesus Christ, the only begotten Son of God, begotten of his Father before all worlds, God of God, light of light, very God of very God, begotten, not made being of one substance with the Father, by whom all things were made, who for us men and for our salvation came down from heaven and was incarnate by the Holy Spirit of the Virgin Mary and was made man and was crucified also for us under Pontius Pilate. He suffered and was buried. And the third day he rose again according to the scriptures and ascended into heaven and sits at the right hand of the Father and he will come again with glory to judge both the living and the dead, whose kingdom will have no end. And I believe in the Holy Spirit, the Lord and giver of life, who proceeds from the Father and the Son, who with the Father and Son together is worshiped and glorified, who spoke by the prophets. And I believe in one holy Christian and apostolic church. I acknowledge one baptism for the remission of sins, and I look for the resurrection of the dead and the life of the world to come. Amen. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever, amen. Dear friends, go with God's blessing this day. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious unto you. The Lord look upon you with his favor and give you his peace. Amen.
Thank you for joining us in this time of worship. From all of us at St. Paul's Lutheran Church and School, we thank you for listening. More worship opportunities are available on our website at stpaulslutheran.net. Just click worship at the top of the page. May God bless you and your family each and every day. And again, thank you for listening.